So guys, I want to just start a three-week series called Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus? Julie and I were, um, at the beginning of this week, we're going for a coffee date. We have about one of them a day at the moment. How cool is that? Amazing. We live um, in a cool part of the world where there's like cool coffee shops on, on, on vineyards and we choose which, which one we want to go to on any given day. Our favorite one is Nest with uh, Joy and Keith. This is, if you know Nest in Constantia Eitzach, that's their restaurant. Um, Fortunately, you have to pay full price for your coffee. You can't get a discount like me. <laughs> and I was actually feeling a bit of stress because I hadn't figured out what I'm preaching on today. And, um, and I was t- talking to Julia, and as we were walking, I just felt a Holy Spirit moment where two words just came into my mind, and I knew that's what I needed to speak on. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. And then immediately I was like, hang on, there's a verse in the Bible that says that. And I went home and I found it. 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. We're going to preach on that verse for three weeks. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And uh, there are four reasons that I think we need to be remembering Jesus in 2023. The first one is that Christians are notoriously forgetful about Jesus. We, uh, Christians are notoriously forgetful uh, about Jesus. You, when you first come to Jesus, I mean, he is the main thing. But when you hang around him long enough, you start to notice a whole bunch of other things that tend to relate to the name of Jesus, like church life, uh, mission, social justice causes, morals and ethics springing from his teaching, uh, you know, how culture interacts with Christianity, interest, interesting theories about the end of the world. Or the lamest of all, the latest scandal or celebrity in the Christian world. These things are either important or not important. But what happens is that we tend to exaggerate them. I love the book, Jesus Manifesto. The authors say this. What is Christianity? It is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Christianity is not an ideology, not a philosophy. Christianity is good news that beauty, truth and goodness found in a person. Biblical community is founded and found on the connection to that person. Conversion is more than a change in direction. It's a change in connection. The major temptation of the church today, says the authors of Jesus Manifesto, is what they call JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. (laughs) Jesus Deficit Disorder. All other things, including things related to him and about him, are eclipsed by the sight of his peerless worth. Knowing Christ is eternal life and knowing him profoundly, deeply and in reality, as well as experiencing his unsearchable riches is the chief pursuit of our lives as it was for the first Christians. Mm. So that's the first reason. We, 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 we got Jesus deficit disorder, but we're going to deal with that. Next three weeks, we're going to go, so we're going to steep ourselves in him. Deal with JDD. Second reason to remember Jesus in 2023 is that if we lose interest in Christ, we, we, we lose interest in Christ-likeness. If we lose interest in Christ, we lose interest in Christ-likeness. As I was walking with Julie before, those two words dropped into Huffy. How are you? Good to see you. Those two words dropped into my mind. Remember Jesus. Before that, I said to G- Julie, you know what I think? We, we should, this Sunday I'm going to preach on shape up. Because everybody in January is like, come on, you've got the list of things you've got to get right. And they have to do with food, exercise. Sleep, relation, you know, prioritizing certain relationships, you know, actually using the cool city, all that, that list, like shape up. And, and I was thinking, you know, what should I, I, I should preach on it. Guys, this is the year, pray more. 
Read more, give more, serve more, love more, reach out more, obey more, go to church more, slow down more. Uh, that's what I was going to do. You're lucky that you were spared from the sermon because, because Jesus gave me the line, remember Jesus. But it dawned on me, if I look back at my 20 years of following Jesus, when I lose interest in Christ, these things also become less interesting. So, you know, you start feeling like the donkey getting beaten along. Hey, give more, serve more, pray more. And, uh, and we even begin to imagine that the way to, you know, that, that, that if we do these things, we'll be more precious to Jesus. Look at me, I'm a good Christian. I'm precious to you. I'm one of his favorites. I'm reading the Bible. Look at me. I'm, I'm precious to Jesus. But actually, the real motivation to do all of these things is not because we're trying to be precious to Jesus. It's because of how precious Jesus is. We're interested in Christ-likeness because we're interested in Christ. Amen. So my thesis says if we... Um, fixate on Jesus, these things, uh, they tend to stay alive in our lives. And they tend to stay alive in the church that fixes its eyes on Jesus. Why remember Jesus in 2023? I'll tell you why. For the sheer joy of it. For the sheer joy of it. Uh, Julie and I and my family, we got to do a New Year's Eve at Subruck, which is just past Swellendam, our previous neighbours, sold up and moved there and we this beautiful riverside home and we were all asking what's your year for the your word for the year and, and you know we're coming up with different different things you know what, what's your word for the year and um i felt really spiritual this year because <laughs> i usually come up with cool words like hope simplicity presence and they're all cool words but i claimed it again my word for the year is jesus <laughs> jesus and I was actually trying to choose between Jesus and joy. And then, and then um, I realized, no, if I go for Jesus, then joy comes with. And I tell you, I tell you, I have been serving Jesus like I'm an enthusiastic Christian. What? Oh, yes. That's a funny joke, Brendan. I've been serving Jesus for a long time. I'm, what, I'm an enthusiastic server of Jesus. I'm like, I really am. I like, I'm like, Love the thought I'm doing stuff for Jesus in my generation and I work hard for Jesus. Um, but I've realized that I'm also quite achievement orientated the way I'm wired, even if I wasn't a Christian. And I easily serving Jesus becomes like a performance thing. It's an achievery thing. And um, it's possible to be so serving Jesus that you're not even, but you're not close to Jesus anymore. Yeah. You know, you're caught up in the cause, but you've lost the, you've lost the person. It's like being married and you're so focused on, you know, parenting kids that you forget to connect with your spouse. Hey, Julie, do we, ever, do we ever have this problem? No, no. Not us, sir. Listen to what the Scottish, a Scottish preacher said 180 years ago. Think about the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself. Take 10 looks at him. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love. And repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. And then number four, why remember Jesus in 2023? Because, because he doesn't only inspire believers, he um, summons not yet believers. You know, signal exists not only for those in signal, we exist for, for the people that God wants us to reach. We're going to struggle to reach anyone if we aren't excited about the person we're commending. 
If you're in love with Jesus, he comes out in your life, he comes out in your conversations. You don't have to remind yourself to tell others about what you most... Julie and I are forever talking about our kids to people. It comes so naturally. Not because we remind ourselves, talk about your kids to others. Probably it's irritating to them. It's just like we, we just dig our kids. So we tell other people about, about our kids. I mean, Sandy, how often are you telling us about your boys? Eh? I mean, and, and, and then the other thing is we're preaching about Jesus, singing songs to Jesus. Those of you that are new to church, we suspect that you will feel his gravitational pull in your life much more than if you came to a church where they weren't singing to Jesus and they weren't speaking about Jesus. Okay, so remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Um, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. So I've been sitting on that, those words. And, and I want to pick up on this idea that Jesus is Christ, descended from David. Jesus is Christ, descended from David. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the day he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Uh, Today, when, when we mention the name Jesus Christ, almost everyone, Christians included, treat Christ as like a surname. What's Jesus' surname? Christ. <laughs> Actually, his surname is Davidson, by the way. <laughs> Davidson, son of David. <laughs> Jesus, son of David. But, uh, but, um. <laughs> It's not his surname. The word Christ is a magnificent title. And the, the word, when you understand it, it encapsulates a story that stretches from the past to the future and comes into the present. It encapsulates a story that extends from the past to the future and comes into the present. The word Christ is used 500 times in the New Testament. What does it mean to attribute this title to Jesus? What, what does it mean to call Jesus Christ? Two things. Number one, to call Jesus Christ is to declare that the promised kingdom has arrived in Jesus. So, so to, to call Jesus Christ is to declare that the promised kingdom, promised meaning from long ago, you're looking back to the past. So if Jesus is Christ today, it means the, promise, the kingdom promised long ago, it's come in him today. But secondly, to call Jesus Christ is to declare that the future kingdom has arrived in Jesus. So I'm going to explain that to you. To call Jesus Christ is to stretch back into the past and into the future. A promised kingdom, a future kingdom, and to pull it into this present moment in all of its power. So let's start off with the, the past kingdom, the, the promised kingdom. To call Jesus Christ is to declare that the promised kingdom has arrived. The word Christ is of central importance to two world religions, not just one. We know that Christians are particularly excited about Christ. Jesus is the Christ, even Christianity. I mean, there's, there's a word right there. But we forget that Judaism is also uh, really um, interested in this idea of Christ. To this day, observant Jews pray earnestly for the ruler promised in their scriptures. Each day of the week, our Orthodox Jewish neighbors recite words that have been part of Judaism since ancient times. Here's the Jewish prayer book. They say, the offspring of your servant David, may you speedily cause to flourish 
and enhance his glory through your salvation, for we hope for your salvation all day long. Another prayer for this promised king appears in the Jewish equivalent of a grace said after mealtimes. That's actually quite a trick. We, we don't really get mealtimes. Pray before our meals. It's so good. We're just also hungry. You start eating. But Jewish people go, well, let's pray at the end. Good idea. And this is what they pray. Have mercy, our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed. There's the word anointed. The word anointed, which speaks about the spirit coming upon someone. The Hebrew translation is Mashiach. Now, you try to translate that into English, transliterate into English. This is what they came up with, Messiah. The word Messiah is the English word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed, the spirit coming upon someone. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. You get the word Mashiach. The New Testament is written in Greek. Oh, so how do the Greeks translate Mashiach? They got a word too, Christos. The English people got to translate that. We come up with Christ. Anointed, Mashiach. Messiah, Christos, Christ, all the same thing. To call Jesus Christ is to call him the the Messiah. And it's to refer to the Spirit of God coming upon. The idea of anointed kings, of Messiahs or Christ, goes right back to the time of the biblical prophet Samuel, a thousand years before Jesus. The most significant work he ever did was being led by God to find a shepherd boy named uh, David. You might know David of... Uh, Goliath and, and David fame. The Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to, the, to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, mashiach him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The oil represented the spirits. King David was a king anointed with God's spirit and power. He was, if you like, the first Messiah, the first Christ. But David, we're told, was a future flash of the ultimate future Messiah Christ. Nathan, who took over from the prophet Samuel, prophesied over King David. And he said, when your days, David, are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish the kingdom, your house, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then after David died, the prophets kept picking up this theme. Isaiah the prophet said this, For to us a child is born, a son given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It's impossible to overstate the importance of those words for both Christianity and Judaism. The hope for an eternal kingdom established by God and administered by a descendant of King David is at the heart of the Jewish and the Christian hope. So when Jews in the morning and after the mealtime pray, please fulfill your promise. Send us your Messiah Christ. We understand how Powerful it then becomes that when you flip open to the New Testament, the part of the Bible written after Jesus comes, how powerful the words are where they call Jesus the Christ. The enormity of this, the scandal of this. I mean, you've got four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew begins his gospel with the words, this is the genealogy of Jesus, 
the Messiah or the Christ, son of David. And then the central paragraph of Mark's gospel comes in Mark 8, where Jesus says, but what about you? He asked them, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Luke's gospel too, he goes to trial. The reason that he is um, on trial is because they claim that he opposes a payment to Caesar and he claims to be a king, a rival king to Caesar, a Messiah. Same with John's gospel. I'll come back to that in a moment. Then in the rest of the New Testament, Paul keeps on calling him Christ. What does it mean to call Jesus Christ? So firstly, it means, it means to declare that the promised kingdom from long ago has, has come to be fulfilled in Jesus. But remember the other thing I've said, and this is where it gets quite uh, tricky and interesting. To call Jesus Christ is also to declare that the future kingdom has arrived. So, so let me explain this. After 400 years, David's dynasty imploded. Ancient Israel's fate turned for the worst. But still there was this promise of a Messiah king and a kingdom. So the late prophets of the Old Testament spoke of a coming kingdom, a coming disruption, a coming intervention where God would eclipse the present evil age with the future kingdom age. Isaiah especially prophesies about the stark contrast. Isaiah says, right now we live in an age of injustice and war, but the new age will be eclipsed by justice and peace. The present age is one of darkness. People don't know God, but in, in the new age, the future kingdom, there will be light. God will be known. Right now the spirit is absent, but in the new age, the future kingdom, abundant outpourings of the spirit will be like spring rains. Right now there's oppression, salvation is coming. Right now there is guilt, forgiveness is coming. There's sickness and brokenness now. One day healing and wholeness is coming. Distress and despair now will be replaced by peace, comfort and joy. The nations no longer oppress God's people now, but there'll come a time when they will flood in to pay tribute to their God and King. Rebellion and arrogance and idolatry now these will give way to people on their knees in surrender and faith in Jesus, or in, 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 in God, sorry. There's death now, and resurrection bodies will be given to all. And the prophets, uh, before, you know, at the end of the Old Testament, they, they, and, and the Jewish interpreters, in that 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they call this constellation of promises the kingdom of God. So now you understand why Jesus' words were so powerful. Jesus came to launch the kingdom. He was all about the kingdom. What was the message of Jesus? He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He demonstrated its delivering and healing power. Every demon cast out, every broken body healed. This was a sign of kingdom come. He taught mainly about the kingdom. He'd say, what can I compare the kingdom of God in? He'd come up with another parable. He told his disciples to reorganize their hope, their lives, and their ministries around it. In Matthew 6, he says, this is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. He said, seek first the kingdom and all the other things will be added. He said to them, go proclaim the message. The kingdom of God has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Even his death was about the kingdom. His resurrection was about the kingdom. His ascension, the sending of the Spirit. We'll go into that in the future. But probably the most fascinating feature of Jesus being the king and bringing the kingdom is that he spoke about the kingdom as something that was in the future 
sometimes, but other times he's speaking about the kingdom as though it's already here. So sometimes he'd say in the future, he says, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. That sounds like the, the kingdom is in the future, right? But then other times he'd say, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That sounds like the kingdom is here. So where is it? Is it in the future or is it here? And the answer, yes. <laughs> yes. How to make sense of this? The prophets of the Old Testament, the late prophets, created the expectation that the present evil age, the king would come, would end the present evil age, and would launch a new kingdom. And all the bad things in the present evil age would be taken over by the beautiful things in the future age. This is what people thought would happen. Well, when Jesus comes, he does something mind-blowing that nobody could have expected. In the middle of the present age, Jesus comes, and while we still live in the present evil age, he launches the future kingdom age. So that we live in an age of overlap. We live in the present evil age, and through Jesus, the future kingdom age is here. It's not here fully, but it's here in part. It's like early in the morning, you know, it's pitch dark at four o'clock, but then at 5 30, 5 o'clock, there's suddenly shots shooting up on the horizon. The sky's still dark. You can't see the sun, but you know it's there. It's coming, but already it's sending out rays in advance. Those rays, that light, is the sun. It's invading the, the dark night. So, the, so there's an overlap of night and day. And the kim, Jesus comes to bring a kingdom in a way that there's an overlap of the two ages. In his first coming, he launches the kingdom in the middle of the present evil age. In his second coming, he terminates the present evil age. And we just live in the full realization of the kingdom. To call Jesus Christ, is to realize that this future kingdom is here. It's come. And he's given the church the agency of the, this kingdom. He's given us the keys of the kingdom. We get to live in the inbreaking of this kingdom. We get to live in the authority of this kingdom. We get to demonstrate the presence of this kingdom. We get to declare that the king of the future is already on his throne. So think what this means for the church of Jesus. And I'm coming right to the end of my message. Three things. Number one, trust in Jesus as the Christ. I mean, have you read the Gospel of John? To my friends who aren't yet you know, believers in Jesus, I say, well, probably a really good thing you could do is just maybe read one of the Gospels. Try the Gospel of John. Read it, just with an open mind. And maybe even pray, pray, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if Jesus is real. But if he is, show me. And pray that prayer. I mean, that's a prayer of open-mindedness. And read John's gospel. Well, at the end of John's gospel, he says this. He says, all of these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The anointed one, the deepest hope of the world is to be found in the teacher and the healer from Nazareth. Who dies on a cross, who rises again from the dead, who is alive and pours out his spirit upon us. So first we trust in Jesus as the Christ. If you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, I'd say today is as good as day as they come. If you're losing your faith in Jesus, why don't you re-pledge yourself? Why don't you renew your allegiance to him? And then secondly, what does this mean for the church of Jesus? Be confident and humble in ministry. 
Be confident and humble in ministry. I love those two words. You've got to hold them together. There's something about people that are confident but not humble. It's not that desirable, hey? Confident but not humble. Then you get people who are humble but not confident. I'm not sure that that's much better either. Suppose you had to choose one. You know, I don't know which one you would choose. Well, the gospel brings you to a place where you're confident and humble together. The kingdom brings you to that place. Think about the confidence that comes from knowing that we live between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus when he goes up and the return of Jesus when he comes back. By virtue of his ascension, he is already Christ and king with full authority and power. But by virtue of his return, he will become king. He will manifest what he already is. See, the proclamation of the kingdom moves us from a position of strength, Jesus is already king, to absolute confidence, Jesus will become king. And this confident message has the power inherent in itself to transform lives, transform kingdoms, transform nations, and transform societies. Remember what I said, the kingdom doesn't just make you confident, it also makes you humble. How so? Our king, it turns out, is not a proud king. (laughs) When our king came to the world, he flew under the radar, so to speak. He ministered to the weakest and the overlooked. He cloaked himself in ordinariness. He was the servant of all, and he embraced humiliation, rejection, and pain as he reached out to rescue us. I mean, this king's life on earth is bracketed by the manger and the cross. Word, like the venue we're going to be moving to. In his kingdom, Jesus offers not the symbol of the sword, which is a symbol of power, but the symbol of the cross. The way to rule was the way to serve. The way to love was the basin and the towel. Let the kingdom make you confident, but let it make you humble. Both and. And then my final point, long for his coming. Long for his coming. You know, imagine you're set to be married to someone at a future day. But already now you get, to, you already get to Zoom them from time to time. And it's so wonderful seeing them on the screen. You talk to each other. You enjoy each other. But as good as it is, you know you could be closer still. You know that, that, that you're still separated in a sense. You long for the day when they arrive. And let's just say that the first day you're going to see them in person is the day you see them at the end of the, the aisle. You know, one of you are going to be waiting. The other one's going to walk down the aisle. To call Jesus Christ is to anticipate the great day when Jesus will return in glory visibly and in power and not secretly and in weakness like in his first coming. Not only, not a few, but all will know about it. In his first coming, he came to bear judgment on our behalf when he died on the cross. But in his second coming, he will bring judgment on the world's evil. He'll bring salvation to all who wait for him. Will there be joy or will there be misery when he rises? The book of Revelation says both. Upon seeing him, those who know him as Christ will rejoice, says 1 Thessalonians 4, while those who don't will grieve. What a missed opportunity to live this life and to miss the main point of history that Jesus is its king. He will finally decimate evil and suffering, poverty and exploitation, and restore his people in justice and peace, and renew his cosmos in radiant beauty and goodness. And the deepest longing in your heart The longing that not even a loved person in this world seems to be able to satisfy will finally be met in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So uh, my message to you this morning, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. (sighs) Isn't the world a better place when you keep that in mind? Doesn't your whole life feel different, stronger, more focused, not caught up in small stuff? It's like I'm a surfer. You can be on the beach. Or you could be in the back line. The beach, you, you, you want to get from one place to another, you've got to walk there. To the back line, you place yourself in a, where, where the waves are going to come and you catch a wave. You can live your life on the beach. Everything you do is up to you. You want to build a castle, go for it. You want to walk from here to there, okay, put in the energy. The kingdom is a wave. <laughs> kingdom is a power greater than you. It's not something you generate. It's something that invites you in. It invites you on. It moves you forwards. I'm so excited about 2023 because of the waves of the kingdom that are breaking on your life and mine and on this community and through this community into the city of Cape Town. Can I ask you to stand? Yeah. James, can uh, you just lead us in a song, buddy? We won't have words on the screen. Let your kingdom come, we pray. Let your kingdom come in our lives this day. Help us to seek first the kingdom. Help us to trust in the king. Give us the confidence and the humility of this kingdom. Help us to long for that future. Help us to live our lives in the power of the Spirit.